Well, good morning. How are we doing? Welcome to Watermark. We're glad you're with us uh, around uh, the Metroplex, and we're glad that you're with us online. We are in a series called How to Be Rich, and uh, I think I would just set this up by simply saying, see last week. It's important if you're jumping in on week two of this that you understand the context of where we're going. I made a pretty crazy claim last week, and I believe it's true, it's still true, that I'm one of the richest men on earth. And I wanna share with you how to be rich. That's what this series is all about. Um, I'm not talking about the fleeting kind of rich that takes wings. I'm talking about a much deeper kind of wealth that is life indeed. Jesus said he came to give us life and to give it abundantly, and I talk to folks all the time, and they say the same thing to me. Where is this abundant life that Jesus is talking about? And I'm gonna tell you, especially today, how to live wherever you are with a sense of riches. I made a case last week, in case you weren't here, just in a big nutshell, that um, I have tested the promises of God, and they are true. And I'm grateful to invite you into it. I'm not trying to impose anything on you, and neither is God. He is making a divine proposal, inviting you to a better way. He wants you to have life indeed. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, you need to know this. I'm going to set up today, and what we're going to talk about in the context of how to be rich, with, with taking you to a Bible verse that I'm going to kind of shatter your misconception about it. It comes in John chapter 10, verse 10. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus um, says this. The context of it is just before this, he said, everybody who came before me is a thief. They're not really here to give you something. They're here to take something from you. They are robbers. But he says, my sheep hear my voice and they don't listen to them. Um, he goes on in verse nine, he used a metaphor that he's the door, he's the way in. He uh, will protect you from false teachers and thieves and robbers who come to do this. Watch, verse 10. I have come, Jesus says, um, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life to the sheep. And the sheep comes, he says in verse 10, only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Here's the question. Who is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Everybody says Satan. It's not. Jesus is not talking about Satan here directly. What he's talking about are those that came before him, those that specifically were talking to the people that he was talking to. He's talking about false teachers. He's talking about people that are there selling a bill of goods that will not lead to what they are telling you it will lead to. They are snake oil salesmen. Now listen, a little bit later Jesus says, listen, to the false teachers, you are of your father, the devil, who is a liar. He's the father of liars. And so in a way, the false teachers are just pigeons of the enemy. And so Satan is ultimately behind all forms of deceit. And he's the one that's trying to pull you away from the divine proposal that God has offered us or the divine promise that God has, has, has um, given us. He wants us to believe that God's a liar. And so he lies about the character and nature of God. Watch this. The ones who come to steal, kill, and destroy are marketing a different way. They're proposing to you a different strategy on how to be rich. And they are liars. And Jesus is saying, don't listen to them. Um, in 2005, Seth Godin, who himself was a very successful businessman, wrote a book called All Marketers Are Liars. And what I wanna just talk about today as we get started is there is a problem that is keeping all of us from getting rich. And that problem is discontentment. We are not content 
And the reason we're not content is because most of us have bought the lie. Now, what's interesting about what Seth Godin did when he re-released this book a number of years later, I guess too many of his advertising friends got mad at him up there on Madison Avenue, so he kind of repackaged it, and now it's all marketers are, not liars, but tell stories. <laughs> they tell stories because they're trying to get you to believe something uh, uh, that is um, going to make you want their product. So this is basically it. You know, uh, Seth Godin writes in his book, he says, listen, here's the deal. They're telling you a story that if you just believe the story that we're telling you, you're going to want our product. And what he says is that Porsche tells a story. And that 80 plus thousand dollar Porsche is basically the exact same car made in many of the same factories as the $36,000 Volkswagen, but there's a story wrapped up behind if you drive a Porsche. And so you want that Porsche. Marketers, Godin says, succeed when they tell a story that fits our own worldview. So we embrace it and then we share it with others. Have you noticed this? Let me just show you something with Tag uh, Hoyer watches. Okay, over the years, I wanna show you just how their marketing has changed. Early on, here's an early ad from like the 80s. It's heavy on copy. This is how our watch works. Here's another picture of our watch works. Look at all that copy. It's heavy with copy. Now you fast forward 25 years ago, that's not working with people. Stories work with people. So here's the deal. You wanna be a star? Wear this watch. You wanna be a stud? Wear this watch. They're telling you a story, okay? My, my $40 little Timex tells the exact same time as that watch. But there's a story that goes with that watch. And we love it. It's why you buy $4 Fiji water. <laughs> I drink this and I'm on an island, man, right? <laughs> it's the exact same water but there's a story. Now watch, all of your favorite commercials today aren't telling you about the product. They're telling you a story. Watch this one. What are they selling? We're 45 seconds into an ad that costs $6 million in the Super Bowl. And we have no idea what they're selling except you're an emasculated, beat down, whipped male. You have no life. You carry lip balm and watch vampire TV shows. <laughs> They're selling a story. Watch. Here's the story, you panty-whipped emasculated man. Don't give up the car. Don't drive a Prius. Drive a Charger. And you'll be a man. Right? That's a story. And what they're doing is if you're a guy, you're like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to drive that kind of car. Look, I'm just going to show you something because this is why so many of us aren't happy. It's not really about cars. But let me just go a little different route. I'm going to spend a little time. I'm going to show you something. All marketers are liars. The world is, uh, we discover our world through story. Now, I'm going to just insert this right here. Let me give you a little bit more Bible. It's why Jesus said what he said last week in the most crucial passage about how to be rich. In Matthew chapter six, okay, when Christ was talking, he says again, I'm gonna remind you in verses, 20, uh, verses 19 and 20 and 21, he's just saying, listen, be careful where you put your treasure. I want you to be rich. Don't invest in things that will be stolen or destroyed. And then here's the key. This is the text that you gotta know. In verses 22 and 23, he says this. Listen, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, if you see clearly, you'll be able to understand something. But if your eye is bad, if you look through the wrong lens, if you buy the wrong story, then the light that is in you is darkness, and the light that is in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? And so Jesus is saying this, watch. No one can serve two narrators. No one can serve two storytellers. No one can serve two destinies. You're gonna have love for the one and hate the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve two stories. You wanna be rich. Good. Follow me. This is where true riches are. Now, I'm just going to show you one. This is a classic one, and um, it's a little longer, but it's worth watching just because I want to show you. This one happened uh, in 2013 at the Super Bowl. It was two minutes long. Millions and millions of dollars. And just watch what they did. They just told a story, and it made you go, I'm, I'm getting that. I remember I was in a room full of folks, and when this commercial came on, it, we all kind of stopped. And we locked him. Watch this. See, if you want to be somebody that God makes and blesses the world, drive a Dodge Ram truck. <laughs> I didn't buy a truck. I almost got on Farmers.com to get a date with a farmer's wife off of that one. <laughs> but think about that. Now, seriously. This is, they're marketing something. There's a story there. If you want to be the heart of the country, you want to be strong. You want to split a nightingale's leg and be a man that just causes human flourishing, drive a truck. Sell them story. All marketers tell stories. Satan is telling you a story. If you just take this road, it's life indeed. You don't need to listen to God. God's not good. His word's not true. Disobeying him is not that big a deal. In fact, it's the path to life. You'll be God. Tell you're rich. Do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. Now, I'm just going to take a second, and I'm going to just do two more because, I mean, just again, I'm going to show you. They're kind of fun. This, this, this idea of beer commercials, car commercials, those kind of things are the worst at this. They, they sell a story like, um, you know, if you drink Michelob Ultra, you'll win triathlons and you'll work with upwardly mobile people and you'll be perfectly fit. If you drink Corona, you'll find your beach. They're selling a story. If you could bring anything to somebody to make them happy, what do you bring with to them? Watch this commercial. Get out of here, right? Now look, I'm, you're saying, why is he showing a Bud Light commercial in church? Because you're falling in love with a story. Our society right now, when things are well, what do we say? Dilly dilly. <laughs> right? I've done it in messages. And what we're saying is life indeed. Okay? It gets so silly. Okay? They take it one last one, then we're going to move on. But I'm just showing you you're being marketed to. And you're more influenced by it than you believe. We all are. The reason we are not rich is because people are spending millions of dollars to sell us a different narrative, and it influences us. Advertising works. And it's why you are here. I'm not selling something. I'm just asking you to consider something. I'm not trying to get rich off of you. I'm trying to offer you riches. And I'm just proposing to you a better way. I want to show this one because I'm going to come back to it. 
a little bit later. But, but here's the thing, that same king, not just you bring your king that to make it happy. If somebody could do anything for the king, what would the king want, right? Watch, here we go. He's so defeated. I can make you immortal. No, I, just, just a Bud Light. That's really what I want. And the wizard looks at him like, are you serious? Now, guys, listen to me. Because I'm going to tell you how to be rich. God is, in effect, saying to you, hey, hey, what do you want? And there's two kinds of people. Those that say to God, not my will, but your will be done. And you believe this about God. You believe that he gives grace and glory. You believe this about God. No good thing does he withhold from those who love him. See last week's message. And there are those of us that God says to them, great, man, your will be done. And he gives you what you seek, but he'll not let you have what you can't find when you seek it. Because when you seek something other than God, you will not get what only God can give you. Purpose, hope, joy. Psalm 106 says that God gave them the desires, but he sent leanness to their soul. Really, that, that what their soul sought is what brought the leanness. It's why, let me just say this to you, you need to know this about God. In Exodus chapter 20, God gives 10 commandments. And they're commandments that a loving father gives his people. They are not qualifiers for his kingdom. They are the king's way. Let me say that to you again. So many of us think of the word 10 commandments it just, it just makes us kind of go, ugh, right? Because there's an imperative, you do this. Instead of, hey, you want life? Then, then come here, follow me. I, I've come, I'm the door. This is the pathway to life indeed. This is what the 10 commandments were. I want you to listen to them. He says, first of all, right there in verse uh, three, don't have any other God. Small g, there, there's no other God. Don't have any other gods before me. Verse four, don't make for yourself an idol and a representation of your God. Whether it's a Bud Light commercial or a watch or a car or a house or a, 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 some image in your mind, don't worship or serve any other image of where life is found because it won't go well from you. Don't use my name in vain. Don't say that if you do certain things because you promise on me that it's gonna be somehow more valuable and therefore you'll get more blessing. No, you just need to know you use my name as a reminder of what is good and true. Remember the Sabbath day, that's the fourth one, and keep it holy, what he's basically saying, take some time and to meditate on who I am that you might be reminded in a world that is spending millions and billions of dollars marketing your heart towards a different story. Be still. Continually, honor your mother and father. The idea there is um, they're the ones that are gonna teach you my ways. And when you walk in my ways, your days will be prolonged. Now watch this. Don't deal with conflict by putting a curse on your enemies, killing them and ridding yourself of others. No, reconcile with others, be peacemakers. Don't commit adultery. You don't know that the dead are there. Don't steal because what you're taking is not what's gonna make you happy. Don't lie about other people to make yourself feel better. It's not gonna work out well for you. And don't covet. Don't want what others have because what others have is not gonna make you happy. See, God's saying that to you in a loving way. He's like, look, those are stories. The story is if I could just kill that guy, get vengeance on that guy. If I could just have what they had, I'd be happy. If there was another kind of God, I'd be happy. It's a lie. It's a lie. 
And when you follow those lies, you'll never be rich. And God loves you, and so he says, follow me. Come here, I'm the door, I'm the door to life. Follow me. Boy, did you need any other illustrations this week? Kate Spade? Anthony Bourdain? Do you need a testimony about what's going on in the prosperous West? In the last 18 years, suicide is up 30%. Can you think of any other form of death that could sneak up on our country at such an alarming rate and not be called an epidemic? If heart disease was up 30%, you think we'd be hearing about it? If cancer was up 30%, you think we'd be doing something about it? We know that there's an opioid epidemic. It's not up 30%. Suicide is up 30%. And by the way, it's not just a certain kind of person. It's all sexes, all ages, all ethnic groups and races have an increase across the board in wanting to end their life. There is a crisis in our country because I think we're buying lies more than ever. Why? Because I think the church is more effective than ever in reminding people where life indeed can be found. And folks aren't rich. In the articles I was reading about this, and I tell you what, the, the media doesn't typically care about folks who take their life, but when people who have what they think they want commit their life, they go, what, no, what, what's up with that? Robin Williams? Kate Spade? Anthony Bourdain, he's traveling the world, he's a chef. Got a good looking you know, girlfriend, probably who knows, all over the place. Him, come on. But they just go and they say, you know what, so many of this, and here's the very end of uh, the article, the Washington Post just wrote about this. He said, we see a strong relationship between economic downturn and increase in death to suicide, but yet we don't see really in this guy and this girl an economic downturn. No, what's really interesting, they did another study and they showed that, that people who make the exact same amount of money, watch this, who make the exact same amount of money, but who live in different neighborhoods, the person who lives in a wealthier neighborhood who makes the exact same amount of money as the person who lives in a different kind of neighborhood where the average income is lesser, this person's more likely to commit suicide. Why do you think that is? They both make 100 grand a year, but this one commits suicide. Because they're more discontent, because there's a different lie told them every day. You're not as good as me. You're not caught up with me. If you had what I had, you'd be happy. Hey, Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade can teach you this. The rich are infinitely better, more, better off than the poor. Because while the poor still think that money can buy them happiness, the rich know better. You know who else knows better? Your loving God. And so you would do well to pay attention to him, not because he wants and commands you to do things like if you don't do these things, I'm not gonna love you. What he's saying is if you create other gods, follow other stories, other narratives, you're not gonna love your life. You're not gonna be rich. This book of law should not depart from your mouth, so you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, then, then you will make your way prosperous. Then you'll have success. Then you'll be truly rich. Here we go. You need to know this. I'm gonna give you three simple points. I don't do this often. <laughs> but I'm gonna give you three simple points. There is only one story that is true and that truly satisfies. There is only one story that is true and that truly satisfies. And it's the story of the creator God. It, 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 it's, the, it's the story that we all really live in. And he says, in this story, you're only gonna find life when you are connected to the narrator, the creator the author and the perfecter of our story. 
when Paul was checking out and he was getting ready to encourage his young uh, Timothy, he wrote a letter to him. And this is what he says. Timothy, listen, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, if anyone tells you a different story and doesn't agree with the sound words of the one true story that satisfies, those of Jesus Christ, his words, if they give you anything other than the doctrine which conforms to godliness, that person is arrogant, they are conceited, and they understand nothing. They are making it up as they go along. They're marketers trying to get you to buy into something so they can be more happy in their miserable story. And they've got a morbid interest in controversial ideas and questions and disputes about words, out of which only arise envy and strife. It leads to abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men who have depraved mind, men who don't know the story, men who are deprived of truth. And there are some false teachers in pulpits and they will tell you that if you're godly and you give to the kingdom and you do what God wants and you use his name correctly, it'll be great blessing and they'll tell you that the whole reason you do these things is so God can give you more and you'll be healthier, wealthier, and wise. Do you remember what Jesus said? There are liars that are out there. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. It will destroy your faith. It will steal your joy. It will kill your hope in God if you believe that when you do exactly what God wants, you're always gonna be healthier, wealthier, and wiser. There is a truth in that, and I talked about it last week, but it's not the material way that it's often sold by liars. I said last week that folks who teach health, wealth, and prosperity are false teachers. It's the doctrine of demons. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's true. It is. And yet there is a truth in the midst of this where there is riches that come. Okay? Because this is verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain. When it's accompanied with contentment. In other words, you're not doing these things so that you can get more things. You do these things because it's where life is in walking in the way. You walk in the ancient paths where the good way is so you find rest for your souls, not so you can get the rest of the junk you think you need to be happy. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you do that, everything else that people are trying to get more things to have will be given to you. Henry David Thoreau, a long time ago, who I don't believe was a man who necessarily understood the story, is the one who, who said famously, a man is rich in direct proportion to the number of things he can live without. That is a direct ripoff of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. When you're content, there is a thing called uh, hedonic adaptation. And people who, who are part of the self-help movement study this. It's a psychological term because with, with, it, it's also called the hedonic treadmill. And basically the idea is whether we move up or down in lifestyle or economic prosperity, you eventually return back to the exact same level of happiness that you had in the previous lifestyle. Except now you, you've, your new normal requires a different, more expensive default setting. It's why people who win the lottery are less happy than people who are quadriplegics. Because the rich know better than the poor 
that money can't buy happiness. And when poor people get money and they get there and they get all this, they all of a sudden go, I thought this was gonna make me happy. It doesn't make you happy. Now listen, you know, there are guys that, that uh, say a lot of funny things, right? Um, it's true that money can't buy you happiness, but as Groucho Marx said, at least you can find, it lets you buy a certain kind of misery that you want. Uh, Gertrude Stein said, money can't buy you happiness, but it lets you shop wherever you want. Uh, one guy said, money can't buy you happiness, but it does let you buy a jet ski, and have you ever seen an unhappy person on a jet ski? Let me just show you what the richest guy who ever lived said. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses 10 through 13. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Listen, I gotta tell you, I was in a Bible study one time with a billionaire, with a billionaire. We read these verses and he just stopped everybody and he went like this, he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa guys, stop. This is true. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. Solomon says it's vanity to chase that story. You'll never be rich. When good things increase, why? Those who consume them will increase. Everyone wants you to give them what you now know they don't need to be happy. I, I, I mentioned to you before, I happen to have the same name as the billionaire who lives in this town. And I get calls all the time. I get letters from all across the world, thick letters with long stories. Can I have this? Here's my story, give me some money. I get phone calls from guys saying, give me your money so I can invest it and I can get money off the money I invest for you. Everybody wants a piece of a billionaire. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? This is what rich people do, right? How much time did you spend this week watching a ticker? Looking at the stock market on your phone, right? Those guys who don't own stocks weren't worried at all. But those of you that do, you just look at it. Don't go down, don't go down, don't go down. down. That's what you do. What does it give the owner as an advantage except to look on it to make sure it doesn't leave? This is Proverbs 23, verses four and five. Don't weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies to the heavens. That's why you watch it. I don't want to lose it. Verse 12, though, the sleep of the working man is pleasant. Remember Proverbs chapter three last week where I talked about how it says that the sleep of the righteous is, sleep, is sweet. Man who works does what he should, whether he eats little or much, but his full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. He said, this is a grievous evil which I've seen because I followed that story that riches could be hoarded and it'd make me happy. But no, Solomon said, it only hurt me. It hurt me because I started to profane my God and think I didn't need him. And I took confidence in my wealth and my wealth didn't give me confidence. He's just trying to pay your dumb tax. He's trying to say, I don't know where your beach is, but it's not here. God's not looking to rip you off, people. He's trying to set you free. One man a long time wrote and said this. He said, you will never be happy where you are not until you're happy where you are. That is a fact. 
That is what now psychologists today are saying is the hedonic adaptation law, which is if you're not happy where you are, you're not gonna be happy if you covet your neighbor's wife and get her. Hey, that woman, if I was with her, that'd make me happy. No, it wouldn't. You know what I find out from my friends who are divorced and remarried? They say this to me, go, Todd, here's the truth. If I treated my first wife the way I'm treating my second wife to make my marriage work, I'd still have my first wife. And my kids wouldn't have split Thanksgivings and split Christmases. And I wouldn't have child payments. And my, wife wouldn't, my life wouldn't be as complicated as it is right now. I wish I'd have done in my first marriage what I'm doing now. Thou shalt not covet. Just follow Christ. Don't murder your relationship. Bring healing to it, man. There is only one story that is true and truly satisfies. Every other story is there to steal, kill, and destroy. Your marriage, your kids, your hope, your family, your country. This is how to be rich. Secondly, false stories always have tragic endings. False stories always have tragic endings. um, Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims, is another way to say it. And so, listen, you guys need to know this about God. No one is here telling you, do this or God won't love you. What I'm here to tell you is, if you knew God loved you, you would do this. This is a loving father, and he's trying to call you to a better way. This is a better way. False stories have tragic endings. This is 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. Are you walking with me through the text? Verse nine, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. We turn our wants into needs. And it just destroys us. I need a new house, I need a new car, I need a new wife, I need a new iPhone. I need to go backpacking through Europe before I get my job. I need, I need, I need, I need. You gotta be careful with that word. David said, this one thing will I seek. Jesus says, seek this one thing. And if you put anything else before him, if you have another narrative, it's not going to go well with you. God's not mad at you. I, I last week, um, meant to just take you to Proverbs chapter 19, verses two and three, and it just says this, it's not good for a man to be without knowledge. He who makes haste with his feet errs. It's the idea, watch this, Proverbs 19, two. It's not good for a man to be without knowledge. Don't, don't be too quick to hurry your footsteps towards chasing a story. Now watch this, verse three. The foolishness of man subverts his way or ruins his way. And what do we do when our story doesn't work out for us? What kind of God are you that you would let me be this miserable? Why do I feel like this? And God's like, well, because because you're choosing a story. It's not gonna work for you. It'll never make you rich. It's not my fault. Now listen, some of you children especially, you grew up upon somebody, underneath somebody, that was living underneath a lie. And you suffered because you were part of their story. They, you, you lived with somebody, used last week's analogy, that carried around a bucket of, of 
of nails and we're throwing them around everywhere you step. Now listen, but, but maybe the story you've taken out of that is, okay, well then, then I'm gonna be angry, I'm gonna be bitter, I'm gonna believe that God can't turn this around, and I'm gonna tell you, God can turn it around. Because more than anybody, you ought to learn to hate the story of that abusive parent. More than anybody, you ought to know that the story that you grew up in isn't where life is. And you can now, that you're free and older, you can continue to give yourself away to a story that's filled with lies if you want and say it's not your fault because of how you were raised. And God's just saying, hey, listen, come on, man. I don't like what happened to you, but that's just the, 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 this world that you're in. There are people who follow a false narrative and children suffer, women suffer, people suffer under powerful people who follow a false narrative. Why now that you are your own king, are you making that the story of your kingdom? Learn to forgive. Believe I can make beauty from those ashes. Believe I can make your father's mess a message of redemption through you. I can turn the story. This is an amazing thing I'm about to share with you, and you gotta be really careful because I have prayed this prayer. I, I, have, I have prayed, I said, God, I want to know you more. I want to know more of you, and I'm gonna tell you what God usually does when you pray that. He pries your hands off of things that maybe you knew you didn't want, but you still are depending on. Often when you ask God to show you more of him, he doesn't reward you, reward you with more health, wealth, and prosperity. He lets you see that he is sufficient without health and without wealth and without prosperity. And that he alone is who he says he is. I talk to people all the time, Johnny Erickson Tyler in a wheelchair for 50 years. She says, no, I would never have chosen this story for myself, but I gotta tell you, I know a sweetness of God, and she does. She knows a depth of the goodness of God that I will never probably attain to on this earth. I can remember when I was about her age, I prayed this, because to me, as a young man, as an athlete, I thought, man, the most horrifying thing to me would be to be in a wheelchair. But I said this, I said, God, would you please, if the only way I can learn that you are who you say you are, if the only way I can learn that is to put me in a wheelchair and be you know, fed through a, a another person's hand the rest of my life. Put me in a wheelchair. Because I believe you're that good. But, and if I've got to go through that to learn that's who you are, put me in a wheelchair. But God, please, don't let me live my life with such vain self-dependence that the only way that I can learn that is if I'm in a wheelchair. Let me learn, Father, more gently. Let me learn from a humble heart that seeks you. Now listen, all I've done, and you know something, if I'm in a wheelchair this next week, I've lived my life in such a way that I believe that I didn't need the wheelchair to learn the goodness of God. I don't believe that's what Johnny necessarily needed. She might tell you she did, I don't know. But what I would tell you is that you want to seek God like he's that good. I'm gonna say this again. The greatness of God, the transcendent beauty and goodness of God is such that your greatest idea about the greatness of God is not great enough. So much so that you can pray what I just said. But then I just said, Lord, let me live with an attentive heart. Don't let me be like the, the, the mule or the horse that needs bit and bridle to jerk his head a certain direction. Let me be obedient to you and see the goodness of your way. Not everybody who's in a wheelchair needs to be in a wheelchair to learn about the goodness of God. But if you are in a wheelchair, if you're like my friend Brandon Landis, and when you're nine or 10 years old, you go from a strong, healthy boy to being struck with dystonia to where you can't speak, can't control your muscles. Sit there and learn the goodness of God just like my hero Brandon is doing. 
And he knows the depth of the richness and goodness of God because he's not distracted by things that I don't want to distract me, but certainly are. When you ask God to show you that that there is no life in false ways, what God does sometimes is take away not necessarily bad things, but false things. Let me just prove it to you. This is why James wrote what he did in James chapter one. He says this in verses two through six. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Because now you're gonna get the test to see if your faith is really true. And you're gonna see that when you test God, he is true. If you focus on him and believe the story that this is the world you're just passing through, it's a vapor, it's a wisp, it's gonna make you have more endurance in the midst of losing things in this world. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, you're gonna lack wisdom in certain circumstances, so ask God, God, show me what you want me to learn in this. Don't waste your pain. I was um, this week around uh, Cheryl Batchelder, who is the CEO of Popeyes, and I, was, you know, I actually heard her speak at a place. And um, she was uh, talking about some of the team-building exercises that she did. She's a, she's a Christ follower. And, and she said, when we did this crisis, uh, when we did this team building exercise, we asked people in leadership to share with those that were over them and peers and underneath them three or four significant events in their life that were formative, that made them into the person that they were today. And she said, there wasn't a single one of us that talked about wins, victories, or celebrations. Every single one of us, when we talked about the things that formed us to be a strong servant leader, every one of us talked about sufferings and trials and tribulations and pains. It's the treasure of pain. It lets you see that false gods aren't worth hoping in. Paul wrote the exact same thing in, in Romans. In, in Romans chapter five, verses you know, three through five, it says, not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Why would you rejoice in tribulations? Because... My tribulation brings about perseverance. I learn more about the sufficiency of Christ. Perseverance gives proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. We're living, when we get things, our hands pried off of things, we start to live more with our focus, not on things, but on the goodness of God. And so when you pray, just be ready that God in his kindness might take away from you things that you know are no gods at all, but that sometimes become things we're leaning on and we don't even know we're leaning on them, and he's still there. This, by the way, is Philippians chapter four. It's worth just noting. It's one of those other verses, just like John 10, 10. People think it's, it's Satan that is the, the thief. It's not its false teachers, which are pigeons of Satan in a way. But, but this verse, this other verse that shows up all the time that people um, share has nothing to do with our ability to do things that we otherwise couldn't do if we didn't have faith in terms of athletic accomplishment or some other human feat. No, it has to do with a human perspective that changes when you know this. What's the verse? It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul's writing right there about is I, I can live in every circumstance through Christ who strengthens me. This, let's just read it. He's talking here about the key to riches, right? Because listen, the reason suicide is spiking is because there's anxiety about, will my God perform in the future? Anxiety is the fear that God won't get something right. Depression is you living in a sense that God has done something wrong. Or maybe you've done something wrong and God can't change your story and it depresses you. 
I read a story recently about people who take their life jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. There are a number of men that have survived, women that have survived jumping off that, a handful actually. Of the thousands that have died when they jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, there's been a handful of people that have survived. One of those guys said this. When you jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, it takes you four seconds to hit the water. That's how high you are. He said, when I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, he said, I wasn't off that bridge one step, I wasn't off one second before I realized that there wasn't a single decision in my life that I couldn't change except the one I had just made. Isn't that true? Uh, I read a story about a gal that was um, living during the Great Depression, had five children. Her husband was making 18 bucks a week, and then he lost his job, got sick, couldn't even bring in $18. She finally went to a rickety little heater in her apartment. She turned the gas on, didn't light it on purpose, got her kids in bed with her, and sat down. And they said, Mom, we just woke up. Why are we taking a nap? She said, that's all right, just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. But in the other room, she didn't turn off the transistor radio. And in that other room, through that transistor radio, all of a sudden, the hymn came on. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our troubles and trials and toils does he bear. And she sat there and she listened to it and she quick ran up and shut off that heater. 60 years later, she talked about all the joy she would have missed with five beautiful children and grandchildren and the hope that God gave her and the life that she lived as she trusted in her friend Jesus. False stories always have tragic endings, and if you believe in one, it's not gonna work out for you. Paul is saying, don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, all that you have, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, this isn't a verse to keep you away from porn. This is a verse to keep you away from anxiety. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is ever of good repute, if there's any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, by the way, who is true and honorable and right and pure and worthy of praise? God alone. Focus on him. Focus on his ability to turn things around. Paul's saying, this is my key. The things that you've learned and received, heard and seen in me. It's what I said last week. Practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Paul says in verse 10, but I rejoice greatly that now at last you've received your concern for me, that there were some folks in Philippi that sent him some, some uh, provision. But he said, but listen, before, you know, he goes, I, I didn't do this because I speak from one, for I've learned to be content in every circumstance. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I'm rich. I can live in every circumstance through him who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4.13. Do you know God like that? Or do you only serve him if he gives you what you want? You don't know God. What you want is him. That's how to be rich. Now folks, listen, we should care for one another. If we see somebody who's lacking, we should provide for them. That's what the Philippians did. That's how God's love is expressed often through one another here. That's why I've challenged community groups who have more to be with community groups who have less. We're not communists here. We just meet each other's needs. And there are people who can't send kids to camp like you. There are people who can't provide for their kids they go back to school like you. And it's the body of Christ, shame on us if we just go be content. No. We help provide for them in a way that would give thanks to God. 
because we've got a need. We've got more than we need. They've got a need. They don't have enough. So that in our poverty of riches and in their riches of need, God would be glorified in all things. False stories always have tragic endings. 1 Timothy 6, just kind of pushing on. Here's the, the last thing I'll tell you. We have to pursue, practice, and proclaim the story of life for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what we do. We have to pursue and practice and proclaim the story of life for the glory of God and the good of others. That's how we live. It's kind of what I just got through saying, but let me read it to you. Because here's the solution. The cure, the cure for discontentment is not to um, pursue more things. The, the, the cure for discontentment is not even flee more things. The cure for discontentment is pursue God more. Practice your faith. Proclaim the sufficiency of your God. Watch, flee from these things, you man of God. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. All right, you were baptized that Jesus is enough for me. I'm gonna live for him. Live for him. Quit living for money. It is unchristian to make the object of your life to gain wealth. As we said, you go, wait a minute, Todd, I might do much for the kingdom of God if I make money. And well, you might. I said, if the object of your life is to make money, it's unchristian. In fact, money, guys, money is not a god or a devil. Money is just simply this. Money is a chance for you to show more of who you are. Money makes you more greedy or money makes you more loving. What is your money doing? Every time you get money, does it up your standard of living or does it up your standard of giving? No, you, you live in accordance with your faith. I charge you, verse 13, in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession. Keep the commandment without staying in reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which you will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, with whom no man has seen or can see. To him be all honor and eternal dominion. Seek him, seek him. The key to contentment is to seek more of God and to realize that's all you need. And if in the seeking more of God you make more money, then show that you're more loving, not more greedy. Let me take you all the way back. If you had a wizard who said to you, hey, what do you want, man? What do you want? I'll do anything you want for me. I can put a curse on your enemies, right? Or I can make you immortal. And you go, no, no, just do the, uh, just do the beer thing. Did you see what happened when he turned the bird into something? I, I have no idea what the advertiser was doing because when you turn a bird into some object, you'd think it'd be a little stack of beer, but it wasn't. And I have no idea if somebody stuck this in, but you can't miss it. Maybe you did. This is what the picture of is when he turned the bird into something. Would you look at it? Don't miss that. Because that's where life indeed is. It's in following the way of Jesus. That's where immortality is, and that is where life is. Not in just numbing yourself with some mechanism in your misery, but life indeed. That's how you're rich. Father, I pray that we would heed this teaching, as you said to your disciples, now that you've heard these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so I pray that we, as your people, would do this, we would seek 
first your kingdom and your righteousness. We would care for one another. We would let the money that you have given us be a means to express more of your love for people, care for people, furtherance of your kingdom and its preaching so that more people can have life indeed. We thank you, Lord, for what you reminded us of this morning. You're not marketing anything. You are sharing the wealth of who you are. Let us pay attention to it. In Jesus' name, amen.